Let's all bow our heads and pray together. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Lord, these are the precious words of Jesus Christ. And with a quote, discipleship simply means the life which springs from grace. And that grace simply means discipleship. Lord, help us to now separate the phrase discipleship and grace. Let it go hand to hand together. Lord, may we grow in discipleship through the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray against every distraction, every attack of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for your authority, for your domain, your dominion to be here in this place. We cast aside every evil hindrances, every distractions, every worries, every anxiety. We lay them down at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things not in our own name or in our own strength or in our own merits, but because, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we turn to you with thanksgiving here today. May we put everything that we have and lay them down at the feet of our Lord Jesus. Lord, now as you transition to the message, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all the hearts for those who will be listening here today. Lord, please, may it be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. For we love you. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. You are everything. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Pray all these things. In your precious son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. The title is called Christ First, Grace Second. Christ First, Grace Second. I want to begin with this. It is always Christ first. Everything else that we receive as blessings and gifts, they are all secondary. When we place gifts and blessings first, things will always go wrong. I'll say it again. When we place the gifts above the giver, when we place the blessing above the blesser, things always, it goes wrong as Christian men and women of God. As Christians, we need to understand that it is always Jesus Christ first. And it is because Jesus Christ is first, the middle, and the last. In the midst of all of that, from the beginning to the end, we receive costly grace, etc., etc., every other blessing that we receive, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, his generosity, his love for us. So let's begin with our main passage here today. It's just one verse, very short. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Usually we're used to reading long passages, but today it's just very short. One verse, and it says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I'll say it again. Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Starting with point number one, without Jesus Christ, there is no true discipleship. Without Jesus Christ, there is no true discipleship. 
So the question that I want to ask you, I have two questions here for us in this main point. The first question is, are you merely a believer of Jesus Christ? Or are you truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Which one are you? They may sound the same. They may look the same. When you skim it, when you just go through it really fast, skim through, it seems like it's the same question, but at the root of it all, at the core of the question, is completely different. And how you answer them reveals your true heart, who you are as a Christian, as a man and woman of God. Are you merely a believer of Jesus Christ, or are you truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? You may be sitting in your seats in pride or in arrogance or in blindness, you may say to yourself, don't patronize me with these questions. Of course, of course I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Of course I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I go to church, I attend service every Sunday. How can I be a casual believer? But you need to ask yourself, are you just a fan? Or are you truly a follower, a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a fan or are you his follower. And here's a reality check and things that you already know. You may know it in your head. You may know it on the surface, but you don't really know in the root of it all, in the depth of that question and that phrase, what it means to be a true disciple. Are you truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the reality check is this. A true disciple follows Jesus. It is rooted into their spiritual DNA. You cannot undo that process. It is within you. Letter A, you say to yourself, I obey Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you say to yourself, Letter B, I abide in Christ. Letter C, I yoke myself with Christ. It could be with or in Christ. It is both. Letter D, I dine with Christ. Letter E, I devote myself to Christ. And letter F, I follow Christ. And when I say I dine with Christ, it means we feed and eat and drink with Christ. What do we eat? What do we drink? His death and in his resurrection. We eat with him of his spiritual body. We eat and drink Christ, not physically, but spiritually. When we say we eat his flesh, when we say we eat his body, his blood, it doesn't mean that we eat it physically as the people were confused in John 6, where Jesus tells them, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you do not, you have no part with me. What I'm talking about here is a spiritual language what they failed to understand. They said, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. How can we accept this? This is cannibalism. This is crazy. But Jesus here is not talking about the physical. He's talking about the gospel. 
He's talking about the gospel. I'll say it again. He's talking about the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? That Jesus died and that he rose again from the dead, that he resurrected from the dead, that he overcame death. And because he lives, you too shall live. If you believe in him, if you believe with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead, and you dine with Christ and you eat spiritually with him, of his flesh and drink his blood, you shall receive the gospel, the costly saving grace of Jesus Christ. When I say the gospel, I'm talking about the good news. When I'm talking about the good news, I'm talking about his death and his resurrection. When I talk about his death and his resurrection, I'm talking about the costly saving grace of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again, the costly saving grace of Jesus Christ. Do you wake up each day declaring to yourself, I obey Christ, I abide in Christ, I yoke myself with Christ, in Christ, I dine with Christ, I devote myself to Christ, I follow Christ. For this is what a true disciple says and does. They, ob they obey, they abide, they yoke with and dine with together. They devote themselves with to they follow Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less. When you devote yourself to Christ, just like the title, grace follows you for all the days of your life. Without Jesus Christ, there is no true discipleship. Number two, without true discipleship, I'm going to piggyback off the last phrase of each point. So first one was, without Jesus Christ, there is no true discipleship. Number two is, without true discipleship, there is no costly grace. Without true discipleship, there is no costly grace. Meaning grace without discipleship is dead. It is not alive. It's cheap grace, only cheap grace is left. Just like in anything, with everything, there are levels to every craft, to each sport, to any hobby. With anything, there are levels to the quality of something. Do you agree? There's a reason why there's Division One with sports and Division Three. There's a reason why there's such things as different levels with the quality and the craftsmanship of each sport, each item, it could be anything and everything. There's a Seiko and a Grand Seiko. There's a Nissan Maxima, Altima. There's a Nissan GTR. There's Audis with an S, and there are regular Audis. There are Mercedes AMG, and there are regular Mercedes. Grace is the same way. Grace in itself is costly. We do not define grace, for grace is already set in stone. But the way that we receive grace, the way we treat grace, just like there's levels to things, grace is the same way. In your life, it is either costly or it could be cheap. Costly grace or cheap grace. And when I say this, don't get it twisted. Grace in itself is costly because it comes from Jesus Christ. 
It is priceless and it is costly. It cannot be bought with any monetary things. For example, before we came into this building, we occupied this building, the rooms, particularly the office in the back, it was used for storage, for chairs. The walls were all messed up. They had the worst shelves, those metal shelves, things that break. It was filled with many miscellaneous things. But how we use them, how we use grace, it depends on us. May we not treat the grace, the free grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we not turn it into cheap grace, but may it be costly grace in our lives. A true disciple of Jesus Christ, they pursue costly grace. Do you pursue costly grace in your life? It should never be cheap grace. For a true disciple, there are three F's to costly grace. I'll say it again, three F's. Letter A, grace to follow. Letter B, grace to follow. Letter C, grace to follow. That's it. To follow Christ, it means costly grace. To have costly grace means to follow Christ. For there's a call to each and every single human being where Jesus calls that person, that individual, to follow me. Will you accept that call and follow him? Will you follow the world? Will you follow your friends? Will you follow the desires of this world, the dreams of this world? Or will you follow Christ? Let me give you an example using Peter for these three subpoints: grace to follow, grace to follow, grace to follow. And let's first talk about Peter's origin story in the beginning, where Christ meets him for the first time, where Peter, he makes that conscious decision to leave his old man, to leave his family, to leave his old self, to follow Christ, to follow him. Just like the main passage here today, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and what? Follow me. That phrase, follow me, should echo in your heart each and every single day. Remember back to the beginning when you first made that decision, when you first heard that call from Christ to follow him. Let's take a look at what happened with Peter in the beginning, his origin story. It's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. The title says, Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting on that into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Then he had gone a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left. Their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. Focusing on verse 17. Come follow me. This was his origin, beginning story of Peter meeting Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Let's continue on. Let's take a look at what Jesus continues to say to him. This is the end of Peter, John 21. The title says, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch a Fish. Remember, in Mark 1 was the beginning. John 21 was the last before Jesus ascends to heaven. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around them for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Imagine a football field. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Let's continue. Skipping over to verse 15, chapter 21. The title says, Jesus reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The same phrase in the beginning of Mark 1, follow me. John 21, Jesus says to him, to follow me. We know what Jesus told him in the beginning in Mark 1 and the end in John 21. Now let's go to the middle. After he was called in the beginning, what happened in the middle? What did Jesus say to Peter? It's the same thing, the phrase, follow me. Let's all turn to Matthew 16, verse 21 to 26. The title says, Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, the audacity of Peter, 
took him, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We see the similarity here in our main passage, Luke 9, where it says they must deny themselves, pick up the cross, and to follow Christ. We see here Jesus, he rebukes, he disciplines and that rebuke and that discipline that was brought to Peter was costly grace being bestowed upon Peter. So from the beginning when he was called, when he was a nobody, to the middle and to the end, it was the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ unto Peter. And therefore, as Christians, that same call applies to you. It extends to you. Follow me. Follow me. Peter's whole purpose to his life, it came down to these words. Come follow me. The sole purpose of Peter came down to these three separate calls and these three separate occasions. The first occasion, again, was in the beginning where Peter left everything. Second occasion, after his encounter with the resurrected Christ. And the middle, where Peter receives discipline and rebuke. And this applies to all of us. Follow me. So the question, are you on there? cheap grace or costly grace where do you fall under as Bonhoeffer states Peter had received the grace which costs not cheap grace in other words he receives costly grace costly grace is not self bestowed costly grace comes only from and through Jesus Christ and to say otherwise, grace first, and then Jesus later, discipleship later, is blasphemy. It is always Christ first, and then comes discipleship. Everything that we have, it comes from Christ. Bonhoeffer says this, he says, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. 
costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is a pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. It's the last paragraph. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought at a price. And what has cost God must cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is a sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. What has cost God much cannot be cheap. For us, amen. Amen. As a true disciple, I live in costly grace. I pursue costly grace by me leaving, by me remaining, by me enduring, continuing, pursuing, hungering after Him, thirsting after Him, abiding in Him, walking with Him, running with Him, crawling with Him, following Him. Are you doing all the things above? Have you left everything? Are you picking up the cross? And are you daily following him? Or are you putting your family first? Are you putting your friends first? Are you placing your own desires and your own selfishness first? Because if you are, that's cheap grace. Costly grace allows you to understand the weight and the cost and the sacrifice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen to me carefully, young men and women of God. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully, older men and older women of God. I'm going to end it with this and this point. In your relationship with God, if you do not live and dwell and breathe in Christ and discipleship. Your once priceless, pure, and costly grace will turn into cheap grace. And that's what Satan wants from each one of us to turn the costly grace, the priceless grace, and to turn it into cheap grace. And that applies to every Christian human being. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. May you live and walk in costly grace. Point number three. Without costly grace, there is no true salvation. Without costly grace, there is no true salvation. It says in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, 
quote. Do not try to run away from it, but believe more boldly still. You are a sinner, so be a sinner and don't try to become what you are not. Yes, and become a sinner again and again every day and be bold about it. Costly grace is the only pure grace which really forgives sins and gives freedom to the sinner. In other words, don't forget where you come from. Don't forget your origin, the origin story. Don't forget that you are a sinner saved by grace. And the Israelites, they continue to forget. Right? That's why they had to be constantly reminded. Remember that you too were once slaves, the Israelites were told. But they had forgotten. They had forgotten that they were once slaves. They had forgotten that they were oppressed by the Egyptians. And they came out into the desert and they grew proud. They turned the cosmic grace of God and they turned it into cheap grace and they started creating their own idols, their own gods, lowercase g gods. They started rebelling against the leadership to Moses. They became proud in their own way and they started doing their own things. They turned the costly grace into cheap grace. So in other words, the only true way to attain true salvation from our old self, from the old man, from the old woman of who we used to be, the old sinner, the self of the individual, of who you used to be, the only true way to attain true salvation is through this, is through the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it's cheap grace, it will remain in self-righteousness. It will be a deceived salvation. When it comes to salvation, you are either letter A, truly saved, or letter B, truly deceived. And the truth of the matter is, and sadly many will live their whole lives deceived, thinking that they have made it, that they are saved, when in fact, they're living their whole lives in cheap grace. And cheap grace does not equal true salvation. Only costly grace brings about true salvation. So the question I want to ask you, are you truly saved? Are you sure that you are saved? Do you know that you are saved? Do you know that you'll go to heaven? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? that you have salvation in Christ. Because if you are living off of cheap grace, we need to rethink our life, reflect on our lives, and ask ourselves, am I truly saved or am I truly deceived? Point number three, without costly grace, there is no true salvation. Last point, point number four. And I'm ending with this. I'm closing with this. Without true salvation, there is no absolute obedience. Without true salvation, there is no absolute obedience. Another word you could use is complete obedience. What God desires from us is complete and absolute obedience. Amen? 
not some, not partial, not when I feel like it, not when I'm ready, God, but right now in the place where he has called you to be. That call came in Mark 1 to Peter. Come follow me. That call continued on. And it ended with John 21, where Jesus, he reinstates Peter and says, come, follow me. Will you follow Christ with true and complete and absolute obedience? We do not obey the call of God through any merit of our own. We simply obey through the grace of God. The focus here is absolute obedience. It is not casual obedience. It is not cheap obedience. It is not a partial obedience. If you take, if you buy an item and the item is no good and you take it back to the store and you say, I want a full refund, as it says, full refund, and they only give you a partial refund, would you as a customer be satisfied? Of course not. You expect to receive the full refund. And in the same way, when we go to God with our partial obedience, we go to Him and we give Him only our leftover, how dare we to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords. May we not give Him casual obedience. May we not give Him cheap obedience. But rather, let us give it to Him absolute obedience to Christ and to Christ alone. Sacrifice is important, like I mentioned last week in the message. But obedience of the heart, the absolute obedience of the heart is far greater and better. And it is costly. May we not turn to God with our sacrifices, with our partial obedience, but may we go to God with complete obedience. Amen and amen. As true Christians, true discipleship means this. It means to live in the world, but not be of the world. We live with Jesus Christ. We must live in true discipleship. You must live with costly grace, in true salvation, and with perfect obedience. Discipleship simply means the life which springs from grace. And that grace simply means discipleship. Going back to our title, Christ first, grace second. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then you must pick up the cross daily and follow him. It begins with Christ, it continues with Christ, and it ends with Jesus Christ. Again, point number one, without Jesus Christ, there is no true discipleship. Number two, without true discipleship, there is no costly grace. Number three, without costly grace, there is no true salvation. Lastly, number four, without true salvation, there is no absolute obedience. I pray that we'll choose Christ first. And may you this week 
live and be under the banner of costly grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We're going to sing verse 1 and verse 2. And then we're going to focus on the chorus. And as we're singing the chorus, I want to encourage you to lift up your hands and worship, especially the praise team. I encourage you to receive from God His costly grace. I know that you guys are up here always singing, but be able to receive His costly grace through worship, through complete obedience. Amen? Let's start with verse 1. God of love and kindness, your presence in me.
Heavenly Father, may we worship you in spirit and in truth, just like with Peter, whether it was in the beginning of Mark 1 or in John 21, or whether it was towards the middle found in Matthew 16, where he put you aside and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And even when you rebuke them, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have the things of God. You are a stumbling block to me. For you only care and concern yourself with human concerns. You do not have the things of God. And then you tell the disciples to follow me. Lord, may that phrase, follow me, echo throughout this week in our hearts. May we follow you as true disciples of Jesus Christ. May we not give and offer you cheap words, cheap action, cheap obedience, and pursue cheap grace. But may we give you costly obedience, full obedience, absolute obedience, and being under the banner of the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, understanding that God, that you died and that you rose again, that it was at the cost, at the sacrifice of your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. How dare we take the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and turn it into cheap grace. May we in humility and with thanksgiving remember and remind ourselves today that I am a sinner, that I am a sinner, that I'm only a sinner saved by the grace, the costly grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never grow too proud or too big thinking that, God, that I have made it, creating idols for myself in the desert, being rebellious in my heart, and being childish in my faith. But may I, with humility, even in my failures, even in my mistakes, even in my shortcomings, may I remember the phrase and the words, follow me. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I choose today to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not by my own strength, but by the strength, by the costly grace that comes from Jesus Christ. Can we recommit our hearts to him today? Can we place the right hand to the left side of our chest, our heart representing our life? Can we commit our hearts and our lives to him once again? May you turn to him once again. Run back to him as the prodigal son, as the prodigal daughter. Run to him and commit your hearts back to him. Jesus first, Christ first, first grace, first Christ, and grace second. Make that your prayer this very morning. Commit your hearts to him. Commit your hearts back to the Lord. We give you our everything. We give you our all. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. Your precious son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. God's people pray. Amen. And amen. And let's just make this our prayer and our worship to our living God. Let's sing together.
Let's close the service with a benediction. Uh, let's all pray together. Let us pray. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord continue to keep you. And may the Lord continue to shine his face upon you and continue to be gracious to you. And now, may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May the gentle counsel and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which surpasses all the knowledge of this world, continue to guide you and protect you forevermore. And as God's people we pray, amen and amen.